Well, good morning, everybody. Do you, do you want to take a seat again and pick up those conversations at the end of the service? Well, it's been a week with a lot of encouragements, hasn't it? How fantastic. Wasn't that great to hear about James and that, and that bill going through? Amazing, amazing. And, um, and if you were here at the annual Vision Supper last, last Tuesday as well, just so many encouragements we heard about, about things that God is doing in and through the people of St. Mark's. Um, so, some of that will be going up online this week, so do make sure you catch up with those, with those testimonies and with the new vision. And we're going to be focusing on, on speaking hope, a church speaking hope, and we're going to be learning more about how to do that in the coming year. Now this Sunday we are diverging from our normal pattern of preaching, we're having a preaching double bill, Um, so Paul Perkin, our vicar, will be continuing our series in the cross in Mark um, this evening, Um, so do make sure you catch up on that. If you're a really eager beaver, uh, you can come along for a second dose um, this evening, but otherwise do catch up online um, during the week. But we're going to stick with the theme of the cross, um, but we're going to think about its connection today with um, one of my favourite themes, um, the theme of encouragement, and we're going to anchor our thoughts in Romans chapter 5. So could you grab a Bible? Bible and turn to page 1132 to Romans chapter 5. Page 1132 and Romans chapter 5. And before we read that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you've been doing um, in and among us. Thank you for all that we've been celebrating this last week. And Heavenly Father, as we turn again to think about the message of the cross, um, give us understanding. Help us to understand the message of the cross more deeply, that we may be more encouraged by it today. So, Lord, be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Well, do keep that passage open. We're going to be coming back to it a little bit later. But we're going to start by thinking about the theme of encouragement in general. So encouragement is a huge part of life on this planet. I don't know if you realize that. Um, But we see it everywhere in all sorts of different forms. So, for example, fridge magnets. How many of us will have a a magnet on our fridge with some positive, encouraging message that it's speaking to us every time we open the fridge door? Um, It's very commonly in in the music we listen to. Why Why do we listen to so much music, personalized playlists and all this? Because we listen to the music that gives us a lift, that encourages us. Um, a, a modern example is, uh, is life coaching. How much life coaching is, at its heart, encouragement. That's what it is. Um, football teams. 
Why is it so much easier to win at home than away? Because you've got the roar of your fans uh, cheering you on, encouraging you. Um, another one you may be familiar with is uh, motivational posters that you may have seen in, uh, in the office. Uh, well, I haven't got any of those to show you today, but I do have some demotivational posters. If you go on despair.com, um, you'll find some spoof motivational posters. So here's the first one. Meetings. None of us is as dumb as all of us. Uh, next one. Legacy. It took millions of years to create something this extraordinary. You have about 74. Uh, and, and then finally, my favorite one, failure, when your best just isn't good enough. I don't know if anybody's got those up on their, uh, up on their walls in the, in the office, but I, I think they're classics. Um, I just want to show you one other example now as well. Um, so this is a team talk. This is a very, very famous team talk. It's had about 16 million views on, on YouTube. Um, it's, 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 it's caption is actually the greatest speech ever. Now, I would question whether it's the greatest speech ever, but it's certainly the most overhyped um, team talk you've ever seen. And we're just going to show an abridged version of it, of it now, the, la- the last half of it. Here you go. I don't understand those definitions. I don't understand when things go wrong. I don't understand mistakes. But I do understand this. I understand victory, and I understand never surrendering. No matter how bad things go, my heart, my mind will carry my body and my limbs through me. Who am I? I am the champion. Today will be that day. Not tomorrow, not next week, but right now, right here, in your house, in your home. Who am I? I am the champion. History will remember me. I will not let everybody be gone. I will define myself. I will write my own praises. And no will tell me what I can never be. I will never go out not knowing I've given everything I've got. Because who am I? I am the champion. Who am I? Remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> Large, largely complete nonsense, completely overhyped. Um, <laughs> what a team talk for such an insignificant college college football game! And uh, I just, the, the final touch I love is that they were called the flowers as well. I, I think that's just that's just terrific. Um, but of course, uh, with that kind of encouragement, um, they did go on to win. And uh, and how much we need we need the coaches, even if occasionally they have the uh, tendency to completely overhype everything. Um, but encouragement is everywhere, and it's also something the Bible says a lot about. So one of the great Christian examples in the New Testament is a man called Joseph, not Joseph Mary's husband, um, but Joseph who the apostles gave the nickname Barnabas. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement, because he was famous for being an encourager. Um, in, the, in the New Testament letters, the apostles are regularly telling Christians to encourage one another. And uh, in fact, God himself is called an encourager in the Bible. So in John's gospel, both God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are called by a name, the the name paraclete, which could be translated encourager. Um, Sometimes it's translated with its more sort of um, narrow legal meaning, advocate, um, but it can also mean things like counsellor and encourager as well. Um, Now before I go on, I just want to clarify uh, what encouragement means so we're on the same page. So um, the related biblical words um, mean encourage, comfort, establish, strengthen, to get alongside, it means all of, these, all of these things. So my best simple definition for today, uh, the one I'm going to work with, is encouragement is strengthening the heart. To encourage someone is to strengthen their heart. So encouragement, it's a big part of life on this planet. 
It's a big theme in the Bible. And when you receive it, as many here will know, it feels great. When someone encourages you, you feel lifted, comforted, strengthened. You feel better. And one place where the Bible talks a lot about the effects of of encouragement is in the book of Proverbs. So here here are some on the screen. You don't need to look them up. So 12 verse 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. 15 verse 4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. 15.23, how good is a timely word. 16.24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And of course, those are just putting uh, in, in a poetic form things that we all know. Encouraging words are good and they're also powerful. I don't know how powerful you would say um, words are, but this is how powerful the Bible thinks they are. Next, next slide. The tongue has the power of life and death. The power of life and death. That's how Proverbs 18.21 puts it. And of course, we all know the power of words. We know the power of words on children when their parents encourage them. What a huge difference that makes, as any teacher will tell you, to their performance at school, their performance in sport and other things. What a difference parental encouragement makes on a sports team, as we saw in the most ridiculous way in that video. In the workplace... Of course, many, many bosses are distant or critical. But if your boss is an encourager, well, what a huge difference that makes. A boss that's an encourager keeps people energized. I, I, I'm a big fan of the West Wing. And um, in one of the episodes there, there's a guy called Will Bailey. And he's got some interns working for him. And at first, he's really, really critical all the time. He's only ever picking up on the things that they do wrong or that they don't understand. And they're completely unmotivated. But then he's given, um, he's given a bit of advice about encouraging them. And when he starts to do that, he's totally taken by surprise at how, how much more efficient they are, how much better workers they are, and they actually stay, up, stay late working for him. Makes all the difference, encouragement. Um, that, that's actually one of the things I really respect about Paul Perkin, our vicar, as, as the staff know. Paul has, has really endeavoured to make the staff team a culture of encouragement. And it makes such a huge difference. I've been in other staff teams, like when I was a teacher, and and just the huge difference that a culture of encouragement makes um, to people. And of course, it works the other way around. We can encourage our bosses. It's not easy being the boss, as some of you will know. Um, And we don't often realize that until we are the boss. But it's good to encourage them, to say thank you. That's always encouraging. To let them know when we see them doing something really well. Obviously, not in a patronizing way. but, But to tell them, I really liked it when you did this. I learned a lot. When you did this, encouragement can work in, in all directions in a workplace. In, in a church, well, when home groups are places of encouragement, then people grow, don't they? In their understanding, in their motivation, in their desire to serve, in their gifts. Worth remembering that, any home group leaders here. In a marriage, how important is encouragement in a marriage? Husbands and wives need to regularly encourage one another. Um, Two things about men. One, we're, we're, not often, we're often not as good at communicating our love as we think we are. Um, so it's well worth remember, remembering to intentionally encourage and bless our wives. So for my wife, um, getting her flowers on a regular basis tends to send that message to her. Um, but, but another thing about us, though, is, is that we often get anxious. We often get anxious about whether we've done a good job. And, and so often wives can really encourage husbands um, with, with a good dose of affirmation. But the Bible has so much wisdom about encouragement and it's absolutely right isn't it when it says the tongue has the power of life the tongue does have the power of life it can make such a difference Um, and and just at this point um, three applications first of all let's realize how good and powerful encouragement is let's realize the power of encouragement second let's be encouragers 
Let's be the people who take the time to say thank you, who take the time to affirm and acknowledge when someone has done something well, or when we see something good in them, in their character, even just the right attitude. Let's tell people we believe in them when they're finding things hard. We believe that they can do a good job. And then thirdly, wherever we have the opportunity, especially if we're leaders in some, in some form, create a culture of encouragement in our workplaces, in our family, in our churches, whatever it is. Because you'll be surprised at the impact it can have. In my previous church, um, when, I had to, when I had to move on eventually, I just sent the vicar a thank you letter, just saying thank you for some of the things I'd learned from him. Um, a bit later, he wrote back to me, and I was just really surprised at how strongly he expressed himself. He said, he said this, he said, I could live off that kind of encouragement for a month. That was the difference, just that a simple thank you letter made. Maybe take the time today just to write a thank you letter to somebody who's, who's been a blessing to you. But it will, it will so often make a bigger difference than you ever expect. So let's take time to show thanks and appreciation. So that's the power of encouragement. But as powerful is the absence of encouragement when there's no kind word to cheer you up, when there are no timely words to bring healing and comfort, when there's no encouragement that is sweet to the soul and healing to the bones, as Proverbs calls it. Again, you see this with children. It's so obvious, isn't it? The low self-esteem, no spark in their eyes. On a sports team, no motivation. In the workplace, wow, look at how low the morale is here. People doing the bare minimum, no one helping each other. In a church, no joy. Everything feels like a duty, a thankless task. In a marriage, cold coexistence replaces a warm and rich relationship. Marriages die for lack of encouragement. Without encouragement, people are sad, unmotivated, gloomy, angry, depressed. And people, of course, often try and deal with that pain and emptiness in different ways. Alcohol is a very common one takes our mind off it for a moment, but it's, it just comes back, doesn't it? And of course, it can go a step further than that. There, there are the words that actively discourage people. And again, the Bible talks about this. So next slide. Proverbs twelve eighteen: Reckless words pierce like a sword. 11 verse 9. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors. And of course, that verse we looked at earlier. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's how powerful negative, destructive words can be. And we know it's true again, don't we? How deep those discouraging and abusive comments can go. Sometimes those words hang over us our whole lives, gnawing away at our souls. Sometimes it's words people have actually said to us, I'm disappointed in you. Fundamentally disappointed. Or the most horrid words a parent can ever say, I never wanted you. Sometimes it's a message that we didn't hear explicitly, but we just took to heart from somebody's actions. Like the child whose brother or sister got all the attention and praise from their parents, but they never did. It was always them, never me. And of course, that's as if the parents are saying, well, you were just never good enough for us. Some people here will know just how destructive those kind of words and messages can be. And so there are lessons here too, aren't there? to again realize the power that our words have. They've got the power of life and death. Let's not underestimate the power of our words to build up or to destroy. But of course, the encouragement for Christians is to be encouragers, to be encouragers, to pursue encouragement, to grow in it, 
Of course, not, not, to, not to be a flatterer, because that's just false encouragement, isn't it? And often with selfish motives. But real encouragement, truthful encouragement, wherever we get the opportunity. And if that's something you, you'd really love to grow in, a great book um, is Encouragement by Larry Crabb and Dan Allender. It's on the bookstall. It's a, it's a very easy read, full of um, great illustrations and anecdotes. But it's so, so helpful. Um, it's, a, it's a really good sort of training, training resource in that respect. Now, what we've thought about so far is important, and it's helpful, and it's useful. But what if we took it a step further? What if we asked, what would be the ultimate encouragement? What would be the greatest encouragement you could ever have, ever possibly have? What would strengthen your heart more than anything else? What kind of encouragement are you and I really ultimately longing for? Well, I don't think I'm being controversial to say it would need to include these five things. First of all, meaning. Knowing that my life is worth something, that it's significant, that it's part of a greater story. Second, purpose. Knowing that my life has an impact and an impact for good. Third, acceptance. Knowing that I am accepted, knowing there's a place, a family, a home where I'm fully welcome and always welcome. Fourth, love, knowing that I am loved, knowing for sure that someone is glad I'm here, that someone's happy that I exist. And then fifth, a secure hope, knowing that I am destined for a wonderful future and that future is secure. I think that's uncontroversial, that the ultimate encouragement would include those five things, the guarantee of those five things. And I just want to explore that third one a little bit more. The longing for acceptance. You see, we all long for acceptance, but in the deeper sense, none of us have it. None of us can get it from another human being. And Larry Crabb puts it like this. He says, each of us wants someone to see us exactly as we are, warts and all, and still accept us. But because no other human being can ever see all of us, a nagging doubt clouds even the best relationship. What would they think of me if they knew that? If they knew my thoughts, my secrets, the things I hide from people that I don't ever want anyone to find out about. I know I've got those things, and I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has them too. Then he continues, the idea that someone can remain warmly committed to me, even with all our faults exposed, is utterly inconceivable. Yet we long for that experience. And he's right, isn't he? Isn't that something we all want, something we all long for? For someone to know us inside out and still love us. Imagine the peace, the relief, the happiness if someone loved you like that with full knowledge, full knowledge and still loved me. Someone who knows everything you've ever done and said and thought, including the worst things about you and still loves you. Wouldn't that be the greatest encouragement ever? But of course, that's what Christianity is all about. In particular, that's what the cross is all about. The message of the cross, if we can accept what it says about the seriousness of sin and the true state of the human heart, which we thought about last week, once we accept that, the message of the cross becomes the ultimate encouragement 
Because the death of Christ in our place enables us to receive personally all of those things I've just mentioned. All of those things that everyone deep down longs for. And Romans chapter 5, that passage that we read at the beginning, explains three of them to us and their relation to the cross. So do pick that up again, page 1132. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So first of all, the cross shows us that God loves us. He loves us beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the death of Jesus demonstrates the extent, the extravagance of that love. He loved us so much that he took on flesh and went to the cross dying the death that our sins deserve so we don't have to and so that we can be reconciled to God. That's how much God cares about you and about me. That's how far God would go before he would abandon us to our just deserts. The cross tells us that God loves us. Second, the cross shows us that God accepts us without condition. He accepts us without condition. That's the main point of those verses, isn't it? Yeah, someone might possibly be tempted to die for someone they thought was righteous or good. We might be tempted in a brave moment. But Christ died for people he knew were sinners. People who were naturally hostile or indifferent to God. Whether we dress that up in atheist or agnostic or religious clothing, it doesn't matter. There's still the hostility or the indifference. Now, when Christ died for us, there was nothing in us to provoke that love. But he died for us anyway. Nothing in us, and yet he still died for us. And that's really good news. I'll tell you why. Because it means that God accepts us unconditionally. Not on the basis of our own merits, but simply through faith in Christ. And this is a really, really good thing. You see, if it was by merit, if it was by something lovable in me then if I lost that, I'd lose God. I'd lose my relationship with God as soon as I messed up, which for me would be all the time. I'd be finished before I'd begun. But the cross says, no, it's not about merit. It's about taking refuge in the Savior. And verse 10 presses the point home, doesn't it? It says, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Just think for a moment of the time in your life and in my life when we were at our very worst, when we were at our most hostile, at our most indifferent to God, when there was absolutely nothing to endear us to God, nothing to make us acceptable or lovable. Well, it's in that state that Christ died for us while we were still sinners So the cross shows us that God loves us, that we are accepted without condition. And third, the cross secures our hope. It secures our hope. This comes in verses 9 and 10. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, if Christ died for my sins, 
then I no longer have anything to fear on the day of judgment. And I have everything to look forward to beyond it. Do you know the analogy of the forest fire? That the one place where it's safe to stand when a forest fire is coming is where the fire has already burned. And so the one place where it is safe to be when God finally judges sin, when his wrath comes, the one safe place is where that judgment against sin has already fallen, on Christ. If we're in Christ, believing in Christ, we have nothing to fear. The penalty's already been paid, as we've been singing about. The cross secures our hope. We're saved from God's future judgment against sin, and we're saved for eternal life, for an eternity with the God who loved us enough to go to the cross for us. Isn't that the person you'd want to spend eternity with? That's our hope. That's the hope that the cross secures. And as our verse for the year encourages us, let us hold on to that hope unswervingly. So as we close, and can I invite the band to come up? Encouragement is powerful. We know that, and we long for encouragement, and it needs to be a way of life for the Christian. Let's not underestimate the impact that we can have on other people's lives if we're encouragers. And let's not underestimate the damage that we'll do if we're not, especially on those who are closest to us. Let's be encouragers and grow in it. But the best of human encouragement, the best of it, is merely a glimpse, a shadow of divine encouragement. Of the encouragement that God offers everyone in the message of the cross. The greatest possible encouragement, the greatest encouragement imaginable is available. And it's found at the cross of Christ. Because that's where God demonstrates and secures everything that we've ever wanted. He secures ultimate meaning and purpose when we come to him. He gives us perfect love and acceptance. He gives us eternal hope. These are the encouragements that every soul longs for and they're found at the cross. And I just want to close by saying, look, whatever discouragement or worse you may have experienced in your life, whatever destructive words may have haunted you, whatever lack of love you may have known, whatever rejection, whatever hopelessness, at the cross, all of that is nullified. It's destroyed. The words dissolve. They lose all their power over you to torment you, to define you. Because at the cross, God has declared how much he loves you and he won't have anyone tell you otherwise. At the cross, God has declared that he accepts you without condition. At the cross, God secured for you a hope that no failure and no person and no situation, in fact, nothing in all creation, can ever take away. That's the message of the cross. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.